hello. How are y'all doing? Good, good. That's cool. That's awesome. How many of you enjoying the reading plan so far? You're liking it? If you are not in the reading plan yet, you're going to see an interesting video at the end that will instruct you on that, but you want to be in it because our, our church is journeying in that direction. So here goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Enough said. Bye. That was it. That's the message. Isn't that the most beautiful thing in the scripture? I love it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then later on, he says, and, he, and let us make man in our image. Who is God talking to? Let us make man in our image. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are creating. Let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them in his image. We are made in the image of God. And there is a battle being waged all around us. There's an enemy who wants to mar the image. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And why is it so important to God? I don't know if I'll answer that fully, but let me answer or ask another question in a roundabout way. Let's maybe we'll answer this. What does God want the most? What does God want the most? And when I tell you the answer, it's so simplistic and our hearts are so fallen from sin, it's almost we can't accept it. We're almost going to be like, well, there's got to be something else. Do you want to know the reason why? That God and what he wants the most? He wants a family. That's what God wants the most. See, the Trinity, God lives in community. He lives in family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he's creating, he creates with that in mind. He has a family, and, and maybe some of you know this and don't know this, but he has a family in heaven, and he has a family on earth. Listen to Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. expresses this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And so does Genesis 6, that really weird passage. How many of you are like, Genesis 6 is a strange passage this week in your reading. In Job 1, 2, when God is before the sons of God in this divine council, and Satan comes in, if you guys remember from your reading, when it talks about the sons of God, what in the world is all that about? Sons of God means this, B'nai Elohim. B'nai Elohim. See, he has an earthly family and a family in heaven. The angels, which means messenger or divine beings in heaven. They're called the sons of God. I know some of you are like, well, wait, Brian. I thought we were called the sons of God. Yes, we are. We are paternally adopted by the king, and that's an amazing thing. But did you know they're also called sons? But it's different. Think of it as an extended family, sort of like this is our church family. Or for you animal lovers, I know how you are with your animals. It, it, little Fluffy, your dog and cat, they're part of your family, right? They're your family. It's the same thing with God. He has a, a family in heaven. He has a family on earth. And his goal is to unite those families in Christ and under Christ. See, it's different. The sons of God are angels. And I want to read Job 38. You're going to do this in your reading. But all these strange times you're reading the Bible, who are these sons of God? Listen to what it says. I love this. This is Job speaking, or God speaking to Job in, in Job 38. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely, Job, you know who stretched out a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set and who laid its cornerstone? 
while the morning stars sang together and all the angels, that sons of God, B'nai Elohim, shouted for joy. Did you know when God was creating the sons of God, the angels were shouting in joy, that they were singing was God was creating this. And did you know, this is the last time in the Bible it says the angels sang. And we're going to find out there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. So I'm sorry. You're probably like, you're hating on Christmas. Because it says the angels always sang in Christmas. Actually, it doesn't in the Bible. It says they said or they spoke or they, they just spoke. It doesn't say that they actually sang anything. Other references on this idea of sons of God, because we just can't cover it today, are in your handout. Go in your bulletin right now. There's a handout. Sermon notes are right there. I want you guys to look. Listen, don't believe me. You look at Scripture. Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. You go look it up. Anyways, we'll keep going. And in Job, we find that Satan is in front of this divine council of the sons of God. And he was kicked out. And we know from the Bible that Satan took a third of angels with him out of heaven. That's why in Genesis 1, the earth is void and empty. That's Hebrew for chaos. So God's going to change that and create. But what I want you to hear is the simplistic thing that God values, that God is building a family, that there's a divine counsel that God has to, that every event in your life goes before and passes through. We see that in Job 1 through 2. See, while God has a big family, we are different than the angels Humans are uniquely made in his image. Male and female, he made them in his image with purpose to replicate God's nature on the earth. And here's the other thing why God created this. And tuck this away in your head is because he wants priests, priests that will worship him. And there's an enemy that hates that. See, God never intended for man and woman to be alone. God walked with them in the garden. That is what marriage is supposed to look like. See, so many of us think marriage is just, oh, it's, it's man and woman, and we're kind of on our own doing our thing. That's not how God set it up. And Eden is a picture that it's your, you, your spouse, and the Lord. It's a picture of the image of God. It's the three-in-one relationship. There's completeness to being made in his image. And Satan came to destroy that image. This is important because when we hit chapter 3 that you heard Derek talk about, Satan, the enemy comes specifically to mar the image, to divide the three in one. That three in one relationship, that's Satan's goal. He hates us because we are made in the Father's image, and he hates marriage because it reflects the image of God. That's why that strange passage you read this week in chapter 6, it says that the fallen sons of God came down, they left their positions in heaven, and married human women, and they had offspring called Nephilim that were called giants. It's where Goliath was descended from. It's Satan trying to do that. And here's why. Satan knows that the seed, the Messiah, is going to come, and so he's been chasing after Israel. Let me show you one of the most beautiful passages in Genesis 3.15. We call it the Proto-Evangelium. Listen to this. Genesis 3.15. This is God speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking about Eve and eventually talking about Israel. And between your offspring, that word could be seed, and hers, seed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first glimmer of the gospel that's in Genesis. The first messianic prophecy. Who it, when, he, when God is saying this, when he's pronouncing judgment on the devil, it says, he will crush your head 
Who is he talking about? He's saying, Jesus is going to crush your head, Satan, and you, Satan, are going to strike his heel. What is he looking at? What was this about? It's the cross. This is the cross. Basically saying, from the seed of the woman, Jesus is going to come. A redeemer is going to come, and he's going to crush your head, Satan, and you're going to strike his heel. How did Satan strike Jesus' heel? On the cross. But Jesus gave him the death blow. So let's start with the garden. The garden was a temple. Like, Brian, it doesn't say that in Genesis. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. In Ezekiel and other passages, we find this out. Let me show you this. God himself planted the garden in Eden. Eden was a region and on a mountain that had the garden in it. It's a place he met with Adam and Eve. There were set times he would walk in the garden. So this garden was a place of worship. But what I want you to hear is a place of relationship. Remember the image, the three in one, where the Lord met with Adam and Eve. God planted the garden himself and put Adam in it. And he created Eve in the garden. Ladies, you got a claim to fame. Men, we were created outside the garden. Guess who was created in paradise? Ladies. It was you. Isn't that kind of cool? We also know from Solomon's temple that many cherubim angels were also in the garden. And Adam was its priest ministering to the Lord. I'll show you that in a second. There were two trees in the middle, and the access to the garden was at the east, just like the temple. The temple was all about a meeting place with the Lord in a place of presence. Again, Eden is all about relationship. Let me show you the parallel between the Garden of Eden and the Temple of the Lord. And I'm going to go through these. If you, you grab that handout, it's on the back. You can follow me. I'm not going to even go through all of them. And there's many more than what I just listed there. But let me show you quickly the parallels between the Temple of God and Eden. In the Old Testament, the Temple was a place of God's special presence where he made himself known and, and felt to Israel. That's exactly how his walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden is depicted. In Genesis 3.8, Adam was placed in the garden to cultivate and keep. Those Hebrew words are abad and samar in Genesis 2.15. It means to guard and serve. It's the same words that are always used for those who are in the temple of the priest. Elsewhere, Adam is portrayed figuratively dressed in the clothes of the high priest and functioning as a high priest in Ezekiel 28.11-19. through 19. The tree of life served as a model for the menorah lampstand, if you've seen the menorah, which was clearly shaped as a tree in the temple. Israel's later temple was made of wood carvings of flowers, palm trees, meant to recall Eden's garden brilliance, and it had the cherubims also carved in there. The entrance to the temple was on the east, and it was on a mountain facing Zion, just as the end-time temple and the current temple, or the temple in the days was also the same way. It turns out that the entrance to Eden was from the east, and it's pictured on being on a mountain in Ezekiel 28, 14 through 16. And there's many more that I don't have time to cover. These are like five sermons in one, but it's highly interesting. I want you to think about it. Relationship, temple, presence, three in one, the image. So Adam is the priest. Can I just talk to you men for a second? Men, we are supposed to be the priest of our homes. Adam didn't guard it very well from snakes, did he? Side note, 
who was standing right there when Eve was tempting, being tempted by the devil? Adam. Who did God give the very first command to? Actually, he gave Adam six commands, five positive and one negative. It was Adam. Who taught his wife what God said? Adam was supposed to. But it's very revealing that when the devil comes and asks, did God really say you must not eat of any of the trees of the garden? Eve responds by saying, we may not eat, well, basically that we can eat of any of the trees of the garden, but God did say we must not eat of the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And she adds something that God never said. And you must not touch it. That phrase right there, God never said. And then she adds the phrase that God did say, or you will die. So wait a minute. First of all, Satan distorts God's words. Now Eve adds, you can't even touch it. And guess who is right there and should have stood up and been, whoa, wait a second. That's not what God said. You see, listen, men. And I'm talking to the men. Ladies, if you give me a moment. I love y'all, but let me talk to the men. Men, you're either a predator or a protector. When you fail to protect, you begin to be like the devil. Remember those words that Adam was a priest? What was he supposed to do? Serve and guard. When you fail to protect, you begin to be like the devil. Adam is a passive man. He had words from God. He had the word of God. He had six commands to live off of. And he allowed the predator to come into his home, into the temple, and pray on his wife. He should have stood up and said, baby... You got that wrong, and that's okay, no problem. And he should have grabbed the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and he should have slayed the dragon right there, end of story. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Men, what do you look like? See, Adam is like most men today. They know little of what's in that book to counsel their families. And your wives and your kids are pray for the enemy because you have no spiritual discernment. And here's the deal. If you're not a protector, if you're not guarding and serving, you're a predator. And I've seen so many men who prey on women in pornography, whatever it is, versus protect women and uphold their own purity. So why is Satan doing this? To mar the image, to divide and conquer and he's doing it, getting them to think that God is holding out on them, just like you heard Derek say, to cause them to doubt the goodness of God. Do you think, men, I'm talking to men, do you think the serpent's tactics have changed? Yes or no? Do you think he's going to attack your family and your wives and your children the same way? The Bible says it's military-like strategy, but his playbook has always been the same. Twist what God has said so we doubt him and promise something he can't give. Men, Jesus is the second Adam, the Bible calls him. Jesus is the high priest. And he slayed the dragon on the cross. And one day he's going to chain him up and throw him in the lake of fire. We are called to be the priest of our homes if you're not a protector, you'll become a predator. And I've sat in rooms full of hurt women. And I'm ashamed of how men have allowed themselves to hurt women when they're called to be protectors. 
And I don't just mean by muscle that we're called to be protectors. Being a protector is a lot more than that. So let's get back to the story. Just had to rant a little bit, if you'll allow me. So they eat the fruit, and their eyes are opened, and they aren't gods like Satan promised. Remember, he said, you'll be like a god. You'll be, you'll be like God. You'll be your own gods. And Satan has marred the image with sin. Spiritual death has occurred, and physical death also is going to set in. Not just for them and us, but all creation is marred by sin. That was his goal. Mar the image. And I want to say this again. The fight had begun, but God already knew the devil's plan before the devil did. What I read, Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium. God already provided a savior. Do you realize that what happened in the garden didn't shock God? It wasn't his backup plan to have redemption and to send his son. That was his first plan always. God never changes. And I love what he says. He says, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. The seed of the woman is Jesus, and the seed of Satan is Antichrist. See, First John says the spirit of Antichrist has always been working in the world, in the sons of disobedience. And one day it will be fulfilled in a man that's going to be the Antichrist that will look like Jesus, but he'll talk like a dragon. And it says that Satan will bruise his heel. That's the cross. But Jesus will crush his head. Do you know a crushed head is a death blow? Satan has been dealt the death blow on the cross. His time is running out. And in verse 21, we see that God sacrificed himself. He himself sacrifices the first lamb to cover their shame. Remember, they run and hide from him. They run from God. The most heartbreaking moment in the scriptures is they realize they're naked and they run from God and they're hiding. And God's walking through the garden saying, where are you? Because our good God is always pursuing us. And they're over there hidden. Do you think God knew where they were at? Yeah. He knew where they were at. He was saying, Adam and Eve, look at yourselves. Look at where you're at. You ran and hid from me. I'm your good God. You're hiding. Come to me. See, it's Satan's goal to keep us from being a priesthood of believers. Jesus is our high priest. And he's called us to be a priesthood of believers. So we have the proto-evangelium. And I want to spend the rest of the time talking about that battle. Because what Satan wants to do is get you to walk in your flesh and not in the spirit. He wants you to look like the seed of Antichrist and not the seed who is Jesus. He wants you to look like the world, not like Jesus. In 1 John it says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Do you think we need to be about our father's business? Jesus is the second Adam. He's the high priest that did not fail. Adam failed, but where Adam failed, Jesus Christ did not. And now he's called us to be a priesthood of believers. We are priests, and we are called to serve and guard. We are called to do what Adam failed to do. So let me ask it this way. Which seed, which offspring do you reflect? What are you reflecting? Jesus or Satan? So I want to contrast the seeds. In Genesis 1, the world was formed, but it was void because Satan was thrown down to earth and God came and spoke order out of the confusion. But what is Satan's greatest desire? What got him thrown down from heaven? Isaiah gives us a peek into that world. 
Isaiah tells us that what got him thrown down from heaven, and as I read this, listens for the five I will statements that Satan makes. All of these statements have to do with being lifted up or being seen or exalted with power and position. In other words, what Satan wants the most is to be God and to receive worship. His greatest desire is to receive worship that God alone deserves. So let's listen to this. Isaiah 14, 12. Oh, how you've fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. That's Satan's name in heaven. Son of morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakens the nations. For you have said in your heart, you realize God knows the secret of the heart? Right now, he knows every, what everybody's thinking. He knew the secret of Satan's heart. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, the angels. I will sit on the mount. That was that divine council you read about in Genesis or Job 1 and 2. The highest point of a mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. North is always up. See how Satan's trying to go up. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds are the Shekinah glory of God. I will be like the Most High. Do you realize that even Satan can't bring himself to say I can be greater than? He wants to, but even he can say I, I, maybe all I can do is be like because there is no one higher than the Most High God. And I love God's response. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. But notice Satan said in his heart, I will. Your will is your desires. So we have those five I will statements where the devil says in his heart, I want to be lifted up. I want to be high. I want to be exalted. And then he says it very clearly. I want to be like God. He's saying, I want to be higher than him. Think of the subtle ways we do the same. He's saying, I want to be my own God. I want to be in control. I want to go my own way. I want to be worshipped and respected. I hate to tell you this, but we are born with that same desire. This is the nature you were born with. The nature of Antichrist. The nature of the seed. This is the nature you were born with, and we inherited it from Adam. This is the fallen sin nature. And that's true, but Adam and Eve were not the original sinners. Satan is the original sinner. So let's be really blunt about it. We weren't just born with an Adamic nature. We were born with a satanic nature, the seed of Antichrist, that wants praise, power, and position for itself. Let's just be real. We want to be on the thrones of our own hearts. And that nature is, I want to be seen. I want to be lifted up. I want to go my own way. I want people to honor me. I want what others have. Why am I not as beautiful or talented? I want to be better than others. Listen, before we came to Christ, the most important person in your life is you, right? It was us. I can prove it to you. Who is the first person you look at when you see a photograph of you and your family? <laughs> that was a good, stinking answer right there, my friend. That was awesome. Or when you're taking a selfie, how many times do you have to take that picture to get the perfect selfie? See, the problem is we still wrestle with this stuff, isn't it? We still have the flesh. And the Bible says that the flesh and the spirit are wrestling against each other. Whom are you reflecting? But when we are born again, we are born of the seed. And Galatians says the seed is Jesus. We're born again. And we are in the process of maturing in Christ. 
The problem is, is we're so worried about the perception of others or being better than others, seeking value, worth, and comparing. Where do you think the roots of pride and insecurity come from? It's not God. It's Satan. Do you realize that Satan is the most prideful and insecure person? It's all about him. The problem is that so many of us look like him, and we don't look like our Jesus. See, when you look at Jesus, he's always turning the attention off of himself and onto the Father and the Holy Spirit. Don't look at me. Look at the Father. The Father sent me. I came to do the will of my Father, not my own. I do and speak what I see the Father saying and doing. And when the Spirit comes, he magnifies the Son, and the Father is always lifting up the Son. And I know this is going to sound really silly, but if you could listen in to the conversation of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it'd be like this. The Father would be like, Son, you are so amazing. How you did that was so awesome. I'm just so proud of you. And the son would be like, well, it's the spirit of God. He empowered me. He's awesome. He's so powerful. He's amazing. And it would go back and forth. And I know that sounds silly, but it would be an absolute purity. That's how it is. They're always diverting attention off each other. And the more we become like Christ, the more we will serve and guard as priests because we're focusing the attention on God and others. But let's just be real. Self-seeking, which we're all right with, is self-worship. Listen to this contrast. If Satan was this, I will ascend into heaven. Jesus says, I will descend from heaven. If Satan was, I will exalt my throne. Jesus says, I will leave my throne and become like them. If Satan was, I will sit on the mount. Jesus said, I will kneel and wash feet and serve. If Satan says, I will ascend above the clouds. Jesus said, I will Descend below the clouds. Satan says, I will be like the Most High. Jesus says, I'll become a man and die on the cross because I love them. See, you are never more like Satan when you're prideful and insecure. Now, I'm preaching to myself, okay? If I'm stepping on toes. Boasting, pity party, pride. But that's beautiful. Look at Jesus. You are never more like Jesus when you're humble and meek. Meekness is strength under control. Actually, let me give you a picture of Jesus. And God gave this, and I'm just fascinated by Jesus. The more I look into him, and it's this thing, this verse that we use in, in weddings all the time, and we should, but we can almost miss the power of it. Because 1 John says God is love, not the wishy-washy love of the world, the love of the Bible. God is love. He defines it. Listen to what love is. 1 Corinthians, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. We're priesthood of believers. We're here to protect, right, men? Right, ladies? It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now put Jesus' name in there, and you just described our king. That's who Jesus is. Now put your own name in there. Ouch. Are you that at work? 
when you talk about another person, when you think about those people? Are you that about your church or your job? At home with your wife or your husband or your kids? So what do we do? In James it says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he adds a promise and he will lift you up. Isn't it interesting that this passage, we are warned to forsake pride and humbly submit ourselves to God in order to resist the devil. Do you know what Satan's position was in heaven before he fell? He was the priest and lead worshiper. A priest is a guard, a worshiper, a teacher, first in the battle, called to serve. That's what Satan was supposed to do. He was the priest in heaven. Let me show you it. If you don't believe me, here goes. This is God describing his fall. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. By the way, God never puts something in the word of God unless he has a reason to. All those stones are what the priest wore in their outfit. Remember Adam was wearing that? Look at Satan. He has it too. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you the day you were created. Well, that's strange. What does that mean? This is very important. This is a physical description of the devil. He has stringed instruments. In fact, most theologians say that they were actually built in his body. That's how God created him, a priest and a lead worshiper. It goes on. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Anointed cherubs, now we know what kind of angel he was. Remember in, in scripture later, there's two that are in the throne room, right? There used to be three. Satan was one of those. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. What were those stones for? Let me remind you that Satan was covered with those stones. What do diamonds and precious stones do? They reflect light. Satan had to give those up because he wanted to reflect his own light. Those stones are the same that the priest in Israel wore on his breastplate. Who was the old priest in heaven? Satan. Who was in Eden? Satan. Adam became the new priest, but he failed. In Christ, we are the priesthood of believers called to guard, worship, teach, serve. Whose image are you reflecting? God is love. What was lost in Eden? What was lost in Eden? A priest. What was gained at Calvary? A priesthood of believers. Band, you can come up. And I think it kind of went down this. This is my own take on the Genesis creation. But I think the Lord kicked Satan out of heaven and he fell. And I think when Satan, all this happened, he looked back at God and he says, Okay, God, now who's going to be your worshiper? Who's going to be your priest? Who's as perfect as I am? How can any of this happen? Who's going to do that anymore? And I think God just simply did this. He stooped down in his creation, and he picked up some dust of the earth, 
and he blew the breath of life in it. Man and woman made in my image. I'm going to die on a cross for them. They'll be my priest. They'll be my worship leaders. And I'll show them how much I love them. Are you reflecting God's glory? What seed are you reflecting? Jesus or Satan? Will you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you that you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. Father, you are the ancient of days. God, you are awesome in power. Lord Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the resurrection and the life. We exalt you in this place, Father. You've called us to be a priesthood of believers. We thank you for our high priest, Jesus, who always lives to make intercession for each of us. So, Father, right now we confess sin before you. Father, we confess, we humble ourselves. You said you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. We humble ourselves, and you promise to lift us up. We humble ourselves, God. We denounce the ways of the enemy, God. We denounce pride. God, we denounce insecurity, God. Father, we know that you're in control. It's your redemption. It's your plan. Father, I pray just for the hardest of heart, Father, that you would loosen their heart, that it would soften their heart, that they would hear your words right now, that you love them, that you always are good and you've always been good and you always will be good. And the plan has always been to show us your goodness and the fullest expression of your goodness was found on the cross of your own son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for every sin we ever committed. Lord, I pray that you free people right now Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Jesus today, the Bible says that you belong to Satan, that you're his slave, that he has your mind in bondage and captive, and only Jesus can remove that. Only Jesus can reveal the Father to you, and if he's doing that in your heart right now, call in the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Say, Lord, forgive me, come into my life. You need new life. You have to be born again, because we inherited the sin nature the seed of Satan, the spirit of Antichrist. But Jesus made a way and died on the cross for your sins. You can have new life today. If that's you, just where you're at, call in the name of the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And if you need us to pray with you, come back to next steps at any moment. But let's stand and let's continue to worship. You are the new worship leaders of heaven and earth. You are a priesthood of believers. You are called and anointed bought with the price, the very precious blood of Jesus. Let's worship our King. In Jesus' name, amen.